Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. We've seen a couple of Champions League classics between Liverpool and AC Milan over the years, and you can file last night as one of them. A thrilling game at Anfield saw Liverpool come out on top as their European campaign kicked off. Manchester City, too, hit Leipzig for six in their group opener at the Etihad. I'm here to play Champions League football, said Jack Grealish when moving from Villa to City for £100 million. Well, he scored and assisted last night in a sizeable win. But Pep Guardiola says he wants more fans in the Etihad for this Saturday's Premier League game. We'll come on to that shortly, as well as the European games tonight. Leicester and West Ham playing in the Europa League. Spurs competing in the Europa Conference. Those games will be under the magnifying glass as Football Social Daily goes continental today. I'm Niall McCorn. Welcome to the show. And our two pundits today are about as continental as it gets here on Football Social <laughs> Daily. We've got Callum Tyler and Steve McNaughton. Hello, gents. Hi, mate. You okay? Hello. Good morning. So, Callum, you're from north of the border. You're a Scotsman. And Steve, yep. you're from Liverpool. And I know that there is a petition to make Liverpool a country of its own, so I, I, I we'll class it as that for today, just because it fits in with the theme of the show. <laughs> we'll go with that. Uh, here's what we'll be talking about today. Liverpool against AC Milan, Man City against Leipzig, and of course those Europa League and Conference League games taking place tonight. We'll start at Anfield, where there was a real thrilling game uh, between Liverpool and AC Milan. We've seen some crackers between these two sides over the years, namely that 2005 Champions League final where Steven Gerrard wrote his name into the history books. If he wasn't a Liverpool legend already, certainly was after that night. And then, of course, the repeat of that final two years later, AC Milan triumphant on that occasion. Last night's game was a group stage game, of course, finished 3-2 to Liverpool. They could have put the game to bed inside 20 minutes, Steve. Liverpool came flying out of the blocks and just looked really dangerous from the word go. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a you know, it's a it's it's a pattern of, of our play. You know, when we go at teams, we we seem to attack early doors with plenty of intensity, and um, we carve out you know a variety of chances. And I think last night was no different. I thought you know w- w- when we were at our absolute best, we had we had far too much for AC Milan last night. And the only concern really is yes, we went one nil up, um, you know, through Trent or Tamori, um, however. You know, you want to look at it. Um, I just think that we, we need to be putting more in. Really, we should have been two or three nil up quite early, and I think that's something that that did initially come back and and haunt us. Um, and you know, we t- as Liverpool fans, we talk about it a lot, and you know, say we could be quite wasteful with our chances and stuff like that. And I think 
if we had a bit more cutting edge and you know we'd have been out of sight within 20 minutes last night and that's the only only thing really um you know but you know history will say we won 3-2 and we got three points and i think we topped the group at the minute yeah, I mean, it's that ruthlessness, actually, Steve, that you talk about. And I think that's a good point because Salah misses a penalty as well. And as you say, that could have made it even more comfy for Liverpool. But also against Chelsea in that game that finished 1-1 before the international break, Liverpool had a bundle of chances and probably should have beat Chelsea, actually. So uh, is that something that you can lament for the time being? You're still level at the top of the Premier League, haven't lost the game yet, looking strong, looking good in Europe as well. But is there just a little bit of a doubt at the back of your mind as if to say, ah, if only we could finish some more of these chances. 100%, you know, it's a frustration uh, across, you know, many of us fans when, we, when we're talking. And I think that, you know, we have got, you know, four world, world-class world players at the, you know, the top of the pitch for us in, in Salah, Mane, Firmino and Diogo Jota. But, you know, I do think they should get more goals. Um, and it's only a slight criticism. Um, you know, I think Mane is, is working his socks off um, you know, we can all see that and, and he's got a couple of goals recently, which is great. You know, Salah is Salah. He's just, you know, probably the third best player in the world, isn't he, at the moment? You know, whichever, you know, uh, way you look at Ronaldo and Messi. And um, Diogo Jota does come in, but he is the one who's rotated in. So, you know, he, he might be thinking that he needs a steady run of games to find a bit of rhythm and stuff like that. But I think we should have signed another attacker in summer. But, you know, the transfer window problems at Liverpool are well documented and... You know, we can go off on a tangent about the finances and the way that the club is running, uh, how frugal the owners are, and um, and you know maybe they're not most the, the most ambitious owners in the world, but it is what it is. And I think you know Jurgen will probably be be working the lads really hard on being much more ruthless and and taking the chances because I think what what's going to happen is you know someone's going to get a five, six, seven put on them soon by Liverpool. I think I think. It, then that floodgate is going to open at some point soon and someone's going to get a proper wallop in, I feel. Yeah, watch out Crystal Palace. That's their Premier League opponents this weekend. I was smiling to myself as you gave that answer, Steve, because uh, Divock Origi got a game last night and uh, <laughs> didn't he get cramp in the end as well? I can just imagine a bundle of Liverpool fans in front of their TVs or in the stands at Anfield going, you've barely played this season, man. Why are you getting cramp? What's going on? But anyway, Liverpool yeah. managed to get the job done. As for AC Milan, I saw a few people, Callum, saying that AC Milan will come good because they did catch Liverpool out a couple of times, didn't they? Uh, and they scored some good goals. Two in the end wasn't enough for the win or the draw, but they, they looked all right. Yeah, there was. Uh, it was interesting to see them. This is a kind of new look AC Milan. Um, they're kind of they've been rebuilding for a few years, and this is kind of like you say, them trying to get back to, to where, where they were and, and where we know them from, from all those classic games against Liverpool. Um, I thought it was interesting, after the game, Klopp said that, um, that that his own players kind of got a bit carried away with their own football and how, kind of how attacking and how intense it was. And I think, you know, Steve's used the word ruthless. I, I wonder if the word is, is maybe like control and just actually managing the game because you can you can play this kind of swashbuckling football and you can have all these chances but if you don't put them away and then and then especially at the back if you kind of because there there was some sloppiness in defending let's be honest with those two goals and, and it could have been you know the result could have gone a different way if if you're going to defend like that so um brilliant game for the neutral but i think i think Klopp has uh, has quite clearly identified the problem but you know it's a nice problem to have they're enjoying the football and they mm. just want to play more of it you mentioned about the defending, Callum. If that game had finished 3-2, uh, 2-2, sorry, and Jordan Henderson hadn't fired in that brilliant volley, 
then there would have been, again, this question mark that always pops up when Virgil van Dijk isn't playing for Liverpool. He was given a rest last night, and if the game had finished 2-2 with some sloppy defending, as you point out, the fingers would automatically have swivelled towards, well, Virgil didn't play. We've got a big problem at the back. Um, So I guess Jordan Henderson's volley was important, not just for the three points in the group, but also perhaps to kind of alleviate any further questions over van Dijk's importance to Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested in what Steve thinks because I don't, I don't watch Liverpool every week. But that um, was it, Gomez and Matip last night, and I think, um, I think BT went pretty big on kind of exposing the mistakes that they made that kind of let the, let the Milan goals happen. Um, they didn't, they didn't look pretty, very solid at all. And I think, I think for Liverpool, you almost need, you, you need really good centre halves if you're going to have those wing backs that bomb on. I know we're going to talk about that goal from Alexander Arnold. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's an attacking player, and and Robertson was frequently in that final third as well so you you need center halves that are that are right right really on it and i think last night if i was a liverpool fan um i'd be a little bit worried about about gomez and matip together what do you think steve obviously matip was as callum points out subject of uh, some scrutiny from bt sport but also some praise before the game they were talking about how he drives out from the back and is actually a very accomplished passer of the ball and probably an underrated centre-half, despite the fact he seems to be always on the sideline with injury. Do you think that that Henderson goal, as brilliant as it was on the half volley, sort of masked some of the defensive mistakes from Liverpool? Yeah, and I think it was uh, when when the uh, you know the LFC app pinged on my phone and it said, you know, the, the team line-up and I, I opened it and looked at it, I was like, oh... When I seen it, um, I thought it was a big call to to leave Virgil out. Uh, you know, it's still relatively early days in the season. Um, I mean, these guys do play a lot of football. We know that, and some of the you know the other Liverpool fans will is in. Well, Virgin can't, but Virgin, <laughs> Virgil can't play. He's definitely um, not a Virgin, Steve. I can tell yeah, you that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, know, um, you know, he's uh, yeah. You know, I just feel that it probably wasn't the game to leave him out. I mean, obviously. You know you've got to trust in Jurgen's judgment on it. Um, I think that what we what we see is you know Joel Matip is an outstanding centre back when he's fit, and apparently he's done a really kind of you know complex um, and strenuous routine over the summer to stop him breaking down as much. Whether that happens, I don't know. I think if Joel Matip stays fit, he is probably Virgil's partner. Um, you know, I think Joe Gomez and and Ibrahim Kanate is twenty one years of age. He's you know he's got bags of time and he's going to get his opportunity at some point. Um, but I think they all look good when he play next to Virgil um, because he because of how imperious he is and the fact that he does cover so much ground. He's got so much pace about him. He, you know, he he does allow Liverpool to bomb forward because he can get back and track back quickly. I mean, I think uh, was it not last season? Obviously, he was injured, but the season before, didn't he have the record for the fastest run in the Champions League that season, or something like that? And um, it makes a big difference. And I think you know, as Virgil is thirty now, and you probably think, yeah, he's uh, um, you know probably got four or five years left of top level football if he if he stays relatively injury free. You think you know we've got to work on building someone up to to play the game like he does and have all the qualities that he does. Now I know there's individual traits and. You know things like that to consider, but you know it's if Liverpool are going to keep playing this way, they're going to have to have other centre halves who can do that job as well. And um, yeah, we were a bit exposed last night. You know, two minutes of of real sloppy play, and um, we're all kind of watching it, scratching our heads, going out of hell are we two one down in a game that we're absolutely dominating here. And um, you know that that's the fine margins in football, isn't it? You know, you, if you don't concentrate and keep in shape and 
take ownership of your responsibility, um, you will get punished. And the Champions League is is the highest level of club fo- club football in the world. So, you know, even though you know there's some boy teams that are whipping boys in it, you know, genuinely there's there's very very good teams in it. And AC Milan are coming back or trying to come back. Um, they have some really good players. Um, you know, the, the manager's an interesting character. And, you know, that was a potential um, banana skin that last night. Um, and it will be very, very tough in the um, the San Siro car park. <laughs> well, they're quite similar to Liverpool in many ways, AC Milan. I think there's a lot of similarities you can draw between the two clubs. Fallen on tougher times in sort of the last decade or more. I mean, that was remarkably uh, AC Milan's first European group game in England since they played my team, Portsmouth, in 2008. So it just goes to show that it's been a bit of a fallow spell for AC Milan. They've seen Inter across the city as well be successful under the likes of Jose Mourinho and last season under Antonio Conte winning Serie A. But as you say, Steve, they are on their way back. I thought Mohamed Salah's goal last night, I thought the goalkeeper could have done better. I thought he hesitated and possibly could have come out and just beaten the ball away or tried to kick the ball away and obviously you've got to be dang- you've got to be careful in that position because it can be dangerous if you make contact with Salah he's going down and it will be another penalty so you do have to be wary there but I thought the goalkeeper perhaps could have done a little bit better nothing he could have done about Henderson's volley and probably not a lot he could have done either uh, about the well it was a goal from Alexander-Arnold Callum but it, it was almost an own goal really from Fikayo Tomori wasn't it really it was unintentional but do you think that that goal just comes from a from Trent Alexander-Arnold getting into really good areas and putting the ball into dangerous areas. We see players do this in the Premier League week in, week out. I think for me, Kevin De Bruyne is the greatest exponent of it. Someone who just puts the ball in that corridor of uncertainty, somewhere where the defenders and goalkeeper hate the ball to be, and it can cause real problems and they got the benefit of an own goal out of it. Well, almost exactly the same thing happened uh, in the Man City game when, when I think it was De Bruyne put it into that, as you say, corridor of uncertainty. Um, I, I love watching Trent Alexander-Arnold play and I, as I watched him kind of maraud through AC Milan last night, I did think that, you know, if he had been in that England team, they probably would be European champions. Um, he's he's just unbelievably good and he's, like I say, he is an attacking threat on the pitch and it, it just gives, you know, it if you're lining up against that Liverpool front three then you've got the midfield to deal with and then to also have him knowing that he can run from deep um and and you know his passing and his his vision is spot on that like like you say sometimes football is not about making things happen it's about like making the opposition make a mistake um and I think they're both totally legitimate ways to score a goal and to win a game and he's just yeah he just he, he gives Liverpool something else and it's it's kind of a not not so secret weapon anymore, but it's really, really hard to defend against. Good win for Liverpool last night. An important win in their opening Champions League group stage game. They beat AC Milan by three goals to two. That puts them top of the group. Manchester City also enjoyed a comfortable win in their opener against RB Leipzig. We'll talk about that next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Manchester City, 6-3 winners over Bundesliga side RB Leipzig last night in the Champions League at the Etihad Stadium. It was a really exciting game. If the Liverpool game was a thriller, so was this one over in East Manchester because there was a red card, there was absolute screamers. There were so many exciting moments that took place in the game. It was Nathan Ake, though, who got the ball rolling for Manchester City, Callum. 
you're a City fan. He's had his doubters, not just amongst the media and the press, but also amongst the Manchester City fan base as well. He really enjoyed that goal and it was a powerful header as well. Yeah, um, I was delighted to see him score. I would I would say potentially the three goals we then conceded will not do much to <laughs> to quiet his doubters. <laughs> um, it's a tricky one if you're Aki. You're, you're playing behind some very good players. So he's got Diaz, Laporte and Stones all ahead of him. And <clears throat> at the moment, Stones can't get into that team um, for various reasons. Pep was saying it was because of an injury, but um, obviously, you know, Stones has kind of been in and out of form and in and out of favour. And I think Ake has got... Ake has, is almost a kind of lose-to-lose situation if you're playing back up to those players you don't get the chances when you do get the chances you're not necessarily match fit you're not in form um I I kind of want him to do well I really like him as a player I think I think he was at fault last night or he's part of a defense that kind of didn't really do their job very well last night um but yeah I mean who doesn't want to see players scoring their first goal in the Champions League I mean we saw that twice last night first with Ake and then with with Grealish and yeah it was a nice moment for him yeah absolutely I thought Jack Grealish really took to the stage well on his first Champions League appearance. Steve, he scored a great goal, assisted as well. He said that that's what he wanted from his career when he moved to Manchester City. He said that that was one of the clinching factors, was not only to be successful and win silverware, but it was to play in what you called earlier the highest level of club football in the Champions League. And although Leipzig aren't quite the same unit as they were last season, they've lost a few key components, including their manager. It was still an impressive debut display for him in Europe, wasn't it? Yeah, very, very good. Um, plenty of running in him. You know, when he tucks in onto that right foot, you know, he's almost unplayable, isn't he? And I think you know, you would you would have expected Leipzig to have done the homework on that and know that he loves coming in on that. But um, I mean, you know, it was funny to see Pep giving him a bit of the riot act, wasn't it? Um, at one point as well. But I thought, you know, when I watched back the highlights, obviously, was at, I was at our game. Um, I thought, you know, he, he put a shift in again. He works really, really hard, Jack Grealish, and um, you know, fair play to him. He, he was brave enough to to you know leave Aston Villa. He's living with a hundred million pound um, price tag, and and he's delivered him for them. Um, you know, he's is that two or three goals he scored for him now, something like that. And um, yeah, fair play to him. Um, and he's in with a shout of winning a lot of honours at Man City. The game though had all sorts. There was a hat trick from Unkunku for Leipzig. That was how. They got their three goals through him. I was going to say through the boot of him, but I think it was mainly through his head, wasn't it? Was it all three yeah. goals were headers? Um, Bruce, two of them. Two of them were headers. Um, but yeah, I mean, he played really well. There was a great strike, spectacular from Joao Cancelo. And then a sending off for former City man Angelino, who I think dug out Pep Guardiola recently as well, saying that he ruined him as a player. Um, well, that was a, an interesting narrative to see him sent off. In terms of the defensive side of things, we can praise City for scoring six and they often are a free scoring side. In terms of defensively conceding three in the manner of which the goals were conceded, you touched upon it a minute ago, Callum, with Ake. Is that something that Pep Guardiola will be thinking about more than the fact that the game was won by six goals? Uh, I hope so. I think um, I think it did expose a few flaws, but to be honest, I'm not sure that they're structural as much as like I think the players just switched off. I think there was maybe a little bit of complacency going into that game I think we, we sort of expected to beat Leipzig and and you know Leipzig Leipzig had just been absolutely smacked by Bayern Munich they're not the same team as they were last season as you say um they do concede a lot of goals and, and I think it was it was almost like the team kind of rocked up 
last night and thought, oh, we'll, we'll just outscore these, whatever happens. Um, nice to see Angelino again. Uh, to be honest, I think we could do with him because we don't have any left backs. Um, but he has had his, what was it? His confidence was ruined by Pep. Um, and I think I think him getting sent off was, you know, he was given at the big licks before the game. He was so determined to prove himself that he just flew into every challenge. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was an entertaining game, but I just, I thought potentially a bit of the same problems as, as Liverpool. I think the players lacked a bit of that control and a bit of that game management because um, it was kind of, I think we had the lead pretty much the whole game, but yeah, it just, there was a couple of moments where you thought of, oh, you know, we could actually, we could end up drawing this and that would, that would then make, when you see the, the Bruges PSG game and how good Bruges are, um, that could make the, the group actually quite tricky if, if we hadn't have won that. So, um, but yeah, like you say, the game had everything. It also had an interesting comment from the manager, Pep Guardiola, after the game. And it wasn't about mm. the game. It was actually about the supporters in the stands. Now, before we begin talking about this, I just want to say that I don't like when people suggest Manchester City have no support because that's not true. They do have good support. They've been historically well supported throughout the divisions. But obviously, Premier League football is far more commercial than the days of League One back in 1999. That's just the plain cold hard facts of it it is a different product and it is a different cup of tea and some people don't enjoy the Premier League product I think it's it's important that we mention that however to say that Manchester City aren't well supported is is just plain nonsense it's not true they do have a good fan base they have a 50,000 seat stadium however what they don't have is this legacy of being an elite club in this country and in Europe to the point where, like a Liverpool or a Manchester United or even a Chelsea now and an Arsenal, they have fans waiting in the wings to take tickets regardless of what the situation is, regardless of who the opponents are. Manchester City haven't quite reached that level yet, in my opinion. Pep Guardiola yesterday urged our people, meaning the Manchester City fans, to attend the Southampton game on Saturday. It's not been taken particularly well by the Manchester City fans. I just wonder what your thoughts were on this, Steve, because City often get knocked for not having a full stadium. You know, you get all these empty had jibes and the away end was empty last night. Leipzig brought about 50 supporters, which is understandable due to the current COVID situation. The point I suppose I'm trying to make is Champions League games cost more on top of the season tickets. They've got ticketing issues. There were fans waiting outside for 15 minutes trying to get into the ground. There's a pandemic still going on. It's tough at the moment financially. Tickets are expensive. And, it, you know, are these all factors that kind of dispel what Pep Guardiola is saying? I think he's trying to say it in the nicest way. He wants more fans in the ground against Southampton on Saturday. Who wouldn't, right? Every manager wants a full house every weekend. I just wonder what your thoughts were on that. I mean, this this whole thing is is alien to me. It, and, and to be honest, you know, the, the team that I support... Um, it, it's a very, very strange situation. Um, I think, you know, so, some of the factors that, that you mentioned then um, also affect other teams, but they're still getting full houses in, you know, for the games. Um, you know, I think, what did they have in last night? About 38,000, something like that, you know, out of a 54, 55,000 capacity stadium. This is a, this is a, has been a thing at Man City for a a long time and, and I don't have the answer to it. Um, and I know that City are trying their very best to change it, and you know, obviously, there's a bit of ridicule going on about you know around the football fans and stuff like that. I mean, I think there was like a twelve pound fifty offer last night, you know, for tickets. 
Um, you know, you know, recently they give five thousand tickets away on a Saturday morning for one of the Premier League games, and I think for for a for a club, and you can talk about you know the owners and um, and what what um, has gone on with the finances and stuff like that, but the reality is they are trying to get that place rocking and that place going and create a culture of that the other clubs have were these big European nights um you know loads of club legends which is why obviously the, the statues are going up outside the ground and everything um you know and they're trying to kind of create this this city way and um you know and let's uh, let, let, let's be completely honest about it man city is still what they used to call in the old days new money um you know when when someone suddenly be, you know become rich and I think you know the last ten, twelve years have been absolutely phenomenal for for Man City, um, and I don't know where the fans are at on it. I don't know if a team like RB Leipzig are coming to ground and it you know it coming into the to the ground and it doesn't really get fans excited. I I, I don't understand that. I, I can't relate to that um, because it's an opportunity to see your team in the biggest club competition in in world football. Like I said before. Um, I think there's a there's an undercurrent there with the Man City fans where um, they're not particularly fond of UEFA um, for for all the various reasons that have gone on the histrionics on that, um, and some people have said in the past that a lot of them turn have turned the back on the Champions League because it's a UEFA competition. Now that again. It, it makes the situation a bit more complicated, doesn't it? Because it, it's the one that the manager and the team want to win more than anything, um, you know. And I think what they need to do is is potentially ignore UEFA and try and kind of back the team and try and be a twelfth man for the team. Because you know, you know yourself, mate. You know, a European night at Anfield. You know, Liverpool can be three or four nil down. That you know, the, the chances are they're going to have a good go at turning that round. You know what I mean? Um, because of the noise that the fans make and everything like that. And City could have that. You know, City could have a rocking Etihad with fifty four thousand fan. Well, maybe fifty three with the away fans having a thousand. You know, in in that kind of corner there. Um, but I think they've got to commit to supporting the team in the in the Champions League. And at, at the minute, it doesn't appear to be there. Um, the Premier League, I don't understand either because the champions and they play they play great football. They've got a, a raft of world class footballers and stars on display, and the opportunity to go and see the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, or Jack Grealish, um, you know Edison, you know the list goes on and on. Is is something that should be very appealing, but for some reason there's a bit of a disconnect there. Um, and like I said before, I don't have the answers to it. I don't know what it is. I just think it's a really really bizarre situation when. Um, the the club are having to pedal really really hard to fill that ground and you know it's a, it's a decent sized stadium you know it's got a good capacity to it so yes there's a job to do but in comparison to what happened at Old Trafford at the weekend when Ronaldo walks onto the pitch and there's seventy six thousand in there going absolutely bonkers and and an electric vibe in there and a general feeling of we're back. You know, here it's it, it's like chalk and cheese across the other side of Manchester, and I think there'll be some envious glances cast to Old Trafford and that 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 vibe that's going on there. But it's a it's a tough problem for the owners of Man City, and I think you know no one wants to see the Etihad thirty thirty one percent off capacity. You know, for games. Um, you know, I think that that, that I, you know I, I do hope they get it sorted out in some way, shape, or form. I hope they get their ticketing sorted out as well, because you pay however much for a ticket, you don't want to be stood outside. 
20 minutes after kickoff missing the game that you've paid for i think that that's a huge problem that they need to sort out well just just on that sorry like i, I kind of i kind of accept a lot of the the things that you and steve are saying and it's it's kind of hard not to come back on this without sounding like super defensive right so all of that go on uh, Callum. You know. <laughs> the stage the ad- is yours the admin at manchester city is pretty shocking when it comes to to ticketing right this idea that there's tickets available for every game there's not on the website and there's a waiting list for the season tickets and i know that because i've been on it for about three years so there seems to be a disconnect between people who have season tickets and either showing up and it it, or you know I, i don't know what's happening with the club and then you look at things like the queues outside if you they they have this city square now and and as steve says you know they're trying to make it this great experience and it is a good experience but if you know that you're going to be, you're not going to be able to get in the stadium for kickoff, even if you're there early enough. It probably changes how you, how you you see it. There's one thing though, specifically last night, and Man City fans for weeks ahead of the game have been calling this out to the club on Twitter, which is that last night um, it was Yom Kippur, which is a Jewish holiday. Manchester has a huge Jewish uh, population that's reflected in the number of you know Jewish Man City season ticket holders. Now. In most other clubs, there is a mechanism by which if you're a season ticket holder and you can't make the game, you can give your seat to someone else. Because of COVID or whatever different reasons, there's been a change in policy at Man City and they've stopped that happening. So basically, if it's your name on the ticket, you have to go. Um, you can't give it to a friend. You can't sell it back to the team. You can't sell it on to someone else. And that that was something that, that people flagged in advance of the game. And you'd think someone like Pep would have, you know, being inside the club would understand that. And I think it rankles Man City fans when, when Pep says those things, not because we don't want a rock and Etihad, not because we don't want to come support the team, but because he should understand better than anyone the difficulties and the nuances and and, and the the fact that Man City are really bad at, at the admin of this. And I don't know if it isn't if it is the experience of not of not doing these um for as long as Man United and Liverpool. But yeah, it's it's last night there was a there was a kind of perfect storm of factors that meant that it was a bit off capacity uh, that's not to say that there's not a kind of longer term issue but it was particularly galling to see Pep come out on that night of all nights when when fans had told the club look you've got a problem here and also you're only playing Southampton on Saturday it's not a Manchester <laughs> exactly. derby or an important game I mean every game is important you're only one point on behind at the top of the pan. Premier League yeah it's not like you know, Man City against Portsmouth or something like that. You know, that would be a big game, obviously. But um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely think that that's an interesting situation that Pep Guardiola has brought up. And actually, just before we do move on, Callum, that's not the first time that Pep's done this. No, it's not. So what are your thoughts on that? Because he's done this a couple of times in the past and it hasn't gone down well. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think as much as we all love Pep, there is he is a very rich man who kind of lives in a bit of a bubble and and I don't know how if he's been honest with himself he understands the sort of issues faced by sort of the everyday fan base I think I think you know you can you can see this as a bit of a positive about Man City is that like you say they are well supported they are kind of well supported by people that live around this club um and that's not one of the richest places in in the country and it's you know I I know there's there's jibes about it being a tourist club um it doesn't feel that way when you're in when you're in the stands it's it still feels like there's a huge local element to that support um which which probably does change the the dynamic of you know people what they can afford how they can get off work you know it's there's three home games this week you know if you count Southampton and then Wickham in the cup and if you're if you're a Man City season ticket holder and you want to bring your kids that can run to several hundred quid once you factor in transport food and drink all this stuff um and I think I think from Pep's point of view he comes you know he he comes from 
Bayern Munich and Barcelona, where they they are proper tourist clubs, and they're also clubs where it's a lot cheaper to get in. <laughs> um, and there's a, I think it's it's not it's not a fair comparison, and I think it 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 annoys it annoys City fans because he should know better, and he should know that his comments are going to get you know. Uh, jumped on by the kind of opposition and, and used as this like empty head thing. Um, it doesn't really bother me. It kind of you know, but I think I think it's just a, we just wish he would he would be a little bit more understanding of people who maybe aren't in the same situation as, as he is. Ironically, those two clubs you mentioned, two of his former clubs, squared off in the Champions League group stages earlier this week at Camp Now. There was only forty thousand in, which is much less than half capacity, and maybe that's got something to do with the fact that Lionel Messi is no longer a Barcelona player, and also they are in absolute financial disarray off the pitch. So certainly factors do play their part uh, in fans attending games or not attending games, but that is Pep Guardiola's rallying cry, for want of a better term, to get his people, to get our people, the Manchester City fans, to turn up for the game on Saturday against Southampton. I'm sure that there'll be a keen eye on the attendance figures for that game. But regardless, Manchester City last night kicking off their Champions League campaign with a convincing 6-3 win over German side Leipzig. Premier League sides in action tonight, albeit in the Europa League and the Europa Conference. We'll talk about those games next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the podcast. Niall here. I've got Callum and Steve with me. Time to talk about the Europa League, where Leicester City kick off their European campaign for the season. The second consecutive term in which they've finished fifth in the top flight and now will face Europa League football. They will welcome Napoli to King Power Stadium tonight. It's the first time that Leicester City fans will be able to see a European game in person since 2017, the season after they won the Premier League. There were some concerns over this game, even going ahead, as Napoli have players from red list nations that played for their respective countries during the international break. They have, though, been allowed to travel. The Napoli president, De Laurentiis, wrote to Boris Johnson. He wrote, wrote to UEFA. There was even talks that they might even have to go to the British Embassy in Rome to obtain a special dossier to allow them to travel. It's just chaos at the moment with this coronavirus situation. However, the players are in Leicester. Both sides, Steve, Napoli and Leicester, are tipped to do well this season in Europe. This looks like it could be one of the more exciting Europa League games taking place tonight. Yeah, definitely. You know, two very, very good sides. Like we say, Leicester on the day are, are outstanding. Um, plenty of quality in that team. You know, Rodgers um, has them playing good football. Um, they are susceptible to errors, though, as we know. Uh, and I think that, you know, Insigne, Mertens, um, you know, players of, of that ilk, um, you know, will, will cause problems tonight. Um, you know, very, very good technicians. And... I think that Leicester will have to be at 100% tonight to get to get some out of it. But, you know, if they are, it could be a famous night at the King Power. If, you know, if they get a kind of like, you know, 2-0, 3-1 scoreline or something like that, you know, everyone's buzzing. And I think that will be massive progress for them as a club if they can beat a, what is really a Champions League team in Napoli, isn't it? You know, they've been in the Champions League for, for many, many years. And um, I look forward to watching this game. Those players in senior Mertens, dangerous players, for Naples, one of Leicester's key players is Yuri Tielemans. And Brendan Rodgers, in his press conference before this game, Callum was quizzed on his future, but he says he was relaxed about Tielemans' future. The contract talks definitely stalled. They've been dragging on for a little while now. The players also mentioned that his options 
are open. If you're a Leicester City supporter, is that causing you any concern? The manager says he's relaxed and everything will be okay, but the player has said that his options are open. Is this just kind of a, a bit of a Mexican standoff, do you think? I certainly wouldn't be relaxed if I was Rodgers. Um, I think I think Yuri Tillemans is an absolutely excellent player and he's far too good for Leicester. Yeah. Um, no, oh, yeah. And, well, and do, but do you know what? He's is... actually their most experienced European player. Mm. He's played 50-odd European games. At the age of 24, that's a great achievement because with players in the squad like Johnny Evans, you'd expect he would have played more European games than him. I mean, Steve says that they'll take him. There's not a club in that top six he wouldn't make better. Um, if you can't, whether you count Leicester the top six or not, but I think yeah, he's he's an astonishingly good player. He's 24 now. He can attack and defend. He's coming into his peak. Um, he would he would definitely shore up some gaps in that Liverpool midfield. He's the kind of natural heir to Fernandinho. There's a lot of a lot of clubs are probably looking at him as the the answer to their to all their kind of midfield issues. Um, and if I was Leicester, I would be trying to sign him with a, a massive release clause. Um, so yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think he's probably not long for that team, and I think Rogers is um, is a little bit deluded if he's if he's relaxed about it. When Rogers says he's relaxed, Steve, does that mean he's kind of kicking his feet up on the sofa when he gets home, you know, <laughs> cracking open a bottle of beer and Moretti, saying, "Ah, oh, it'll be fine. Yuri's going to sign," or is that just kind of, you know, Brendan Rogers having been the manager of Liverpool before, is that just Brendan Rogers playing the media game and trying to keep everyone a little bit sort of more sweet than perhaps the situation truly is behind the scenes. Yeah, well, we, we all know Brendan. He's a, he's a beautiful human being and he has lots of, <laughs> lots of character. Um, <laughs> you know, so okay. when he's relaxing, he's probably just kind of going through a, th- a thesaurus trying to find another word to add to his uh, vocabulary. Um, but no, I'm only joking. Um, you know, I think th- there's not a lot he can do, is there? You know, the player's still got a couple of years left on his deal, I believe. Um, you know, he's a, he's a good earner at... at, at at Leicester he's probably quite pragmatic about it and philosophical where he's just kind of thinking what what will be will be if the, as long as the club try and do everything within the power to keep him but but as Callum's just said you know there's going to be a queue around the block for Yuri Tielemans, um when the time is right and it might be in 12 months time if he gets because Leicester will want to avoid that situation where he can get to the 1st of January and agree a deal with another club Um if he wants to stay in the Premier League, obviously that that complicates matters because he'll ride it out till summer. But being being relaxed, I think you know, I think if it was to put a bet on it, I think you know you bet quite heavily that Yuri Tielemans will leave the club in the next eighteen months or so. Okay, who's winning this game tonight, Leicester or Napoli? As we say, two good teams. Steve, who are you fancying? Uh, I'm going to go for a draw. Callum, I think I think Leicester will win the home leg, and I think Napoli will win. The other one in Italy. Very, very good. Well, actually, Napoli, I don't think, have won a game against the Premier League side in England. And I don't think they've lost to an English side uh, in the Stadio Armando Diego Maradona either. So it's pretty good, well, pretty good statistical that, so. analysis there from Callum. <laughs> uh, we're now going to talk about West Ham. They're in the Europa League too. After a brilliant season in the Premier League last time around, they face Dinamo Zagreb in Croatia. The Hammers, though, they've wobbled a little bit the last game or so, Callum. This is one of those things where West Ham don't get into Europe very often. So should they just be enjoying themselves here, not trying to take it too seriously? Obviously, they're going to want to win the game. They're going to want to get through their group and go as far as possible. But particularly for the supporters, is it just a chance of enjoying the the scenario? Because it's not often that they do find themselves in this competition. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, think that'll that'll kind of filter through to the players as well. And I I wouldn't be too worried that... um, 
their form in the league continues into Europe. I think I think everybody will have had one eye on this game. Um, it might mean that they took their eye off the ball in other games, but I think everyone's been looking forward to this one. And, and it's the kind of game where the West Ham squad, you know, at home under the lights, will will really raise their game. Um, shouldn't be complacent against Zagreb by any means. They're an excellent team, and they're kind of, you know, Croatian footballers in kind of rude health, and almost all of those players start at Dynamo Zagreb. So it's it's going to be a, it's going to be a good game, and it has the makings if you're a West Ham fan of a, of a bit of a classic evening. West Ham come up against the Dynamo side who did beat Tottenham in the Europa League last season on aggregate over two legs. And that was a bit of an upset. So as Callum says, Steve, Croatian football is looking decent at the moment. This won't be a walkover for West Ham, or at least it shouldn't be on paper. No, it's a very tough game, this. And, um, you know, we know the quality that Dynamo Zagreb have and they have a great attitude as well. You know, you just need to look at that recent game of Tottenham Hotspur where that never-say-die attitude... Um, and they kept plodding on and plodding on and ploughing on and then they get the, the, I mean it was phenomenal to see it, they got the just rewards didn't they when that third goal went in um, I just think that you know it's West Ham again like Leicester like I said before need to be absolutely on song tonight and I think if they're not on song and they turn up and put an indifferent performance in I think it'll be an uncomfortable night for them having said that I think David Moyes has West, West Ham playing some really good stuff at the minute and you know I do fancy them to um, you know, finishing the top seven again this season and and, and consolidate the Europa League place. Um, it's definitely you know we're, we're spoiled tonight because we've got two good games of football to watch. Um, you know, and I think that uh, um, sorry, where is it again? It's in Zagreb. Yeah, on on that basis, you know, in that in that atmosphere because they create an atmosphere as well as we know. I think when you go into the places like that and the likes of Red Star Belgrade and 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 places like that, the the atmosphere is quite intimidating, and I think that. Yeah, I just reinforced that West Ham need to be at their absolute best tonight to get a result. Yeah, well, West Ham's next two games after this Europa League tie with Zagreb are Manchester United at home at the London Stadium on Sunday. And then on Wednesday, Manchester United at Old Trafford in the EFL Cup. So two difficult games after this one. So they'll be hoping to keep their momentum and their form going. Strange to think that West Ham United are playing in a better European competition than Tottenham Hotspur, but that is the case. Spurs travel to Rennes in France. They're playing in the Europa Conference League. It is, of course, the inaugural season of this third tier of European football. To be honest, with the way Spurs played at the weekend, Callum, it's probably right that they're in the third tier of European football because they were so poor against Crystal Palace. All credit to Palace, though, who played very, very well. But against a a Rennes team who Spurs should expect to beat, this is a good chance to put things right. It is funny, isn't it? After all the the Super League chat from... Levy, um, kind of how, how things have gone for Spurs. Um, I actually think that Spurs could probably do without these games. I mean, I, I don't know how seriously the club will be taking them. Um, I, it's Again, it's kind of, they're almost on a hiding to nothing. They don't want to go out too early because you've gone out too early in, in the sort of the third the third tier of competition, um, which is, which is you know, do you know what? I think it's a good idea, but it's it's an inevitably going to be a bit of a laughing stock for the kind of bigger teams that end up in it in the, in the early seasons. Um but for a team like Ren, it's obviously a huge opportunity, and I think, I think that that does present an issue for Spurs. They probably don't want to stay in it too long because it will start to distract the squad. And like you say, they they probably want to, um, to be analysing what happened at the weekend because they were, like you say, just dreadful. Um, so it kind of comes at the wrong time for them. But at the same time, they cannot be seen to, to be exiting too early. So it's kind of yeah. If I was a Spurs fan, I would um. I have very little patience for this game, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. I'd agree with that. Harry Kane was hardly involved versus Crystal Palace. 
obviously didn't get the move, Steve, to Manchester City that he craved over the summer. He's committed his future for the time being, at least, to Tottenham Hotspur. Since that's happened, there have been a few media outlets and a few fans that have suggested, oh, he doesn't want to be there and therefore he is not playing as well. He obviously didn't play well against Palace, but no Tottenham player did. There's no issues there, surely, with Harry Kane. Everyone's been bigging him up about what a great professional he is and how he'll still go about things the right way. But, you know, the longer he goes without scoring goals and even touching the ball in the opposition penalty area, like what happened against Palace, then the more questions are going to be raised. But for me, I don't think there's any issues. A player of that quality is going to perform eventually, isn't he? Yeah, it's like the old saying, isn't it? You know, form is temporary and class is permanent. And that applies to, to Harry Kane. You know, he's, mm. he's he's a fabulous footballer. Um, outstanding work rate. You know, great record, as we know. He's probably going to end up England's top scorer, um, you know, in the next couple of years, I would have thought. And I think we, we live in a day and age where, um, uh, you know, everyone's opinion is so easily shared now. And they're like assholes, aren't they? Everyone's got one, um, you know. And it's one of them where um, I just think it's very easy to go, "Oh, God, he's had a he's had a poor game or two by his standards." Let's kind of start twisting it a little bit and just saying, "Oh, you know, he's, he's head's not in it and all that." His head is in. He's a professional footballer. Um, yes, he didn't get the move that he wanted to City in summer, and that that ship might have sailed now. Um, you know, who knows? But. Um, you know, to, to kind of question his 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 attitude and his morals and his and and the fibre of the man is just outrageous. And I just think that Harry Kane will be back and someone will cop for it because he'll 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 have a game soon where he'll get two or three goals in it and everything will be forgotten. And he just goes again. And will there be a, a slight inkling of frustration in Harry Kane that? The move to City didn't happen in summer, absolutely. Um, I think he'd only be a human being if he wasn't a bit frustrated by it. But, you know, never write Harry Kane off, you know, at your peril. He'll, he'll be back and he'll be fired on, on all cylinders, probably uh, tonight or tomorrow or the weekend or whatever. Um, but yeah, no worries at all about him. I've just got that feeling Harry Kane will be amongst the goals. I'll probably be wrong, but there we go. I've just got that feeling tonight that he could do well against Wren in the Europa Conference League. Right, that's it for today's Football Social Daily. We've done our whistle-stop tour of Europe. Tomorrow, of course, we'll have a full rundown of those games that take place tonight and exactly what happened in them. There's also a Premier League game that takes place tomorrow night. Newcastle United welcome Leeds, an 8pm kickoff, a Friday night kickoff. Not too usual in the Premier League, but certainly something we'll be discussing on tomorrow's show. Thank you very much, Callum. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate your company as ever. Don't forget to hit subscribe. That way you won't miss a podcast again. But that's it for today's episode and we'll catch you tomorrow on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.